You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Please make your way back to your seats. We'll be starting today in Galatians chapter 3. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. When I'm finished, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham." In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise Promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to the offsprings, referring to many but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by the intermediary. Now the intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Now turn with me to Micah 5. We'll we'll read the whole chapter. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds, and I will cut off sorcerers from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, Father, we love you and we trust you. God, we, uh, we know that your son rules over all the nations now. And now, Lord, as we come to meditate on his birth and his rule, uh, would he rule in this place now? Would you use your word to execute your authority on us this morning. God, would you turn hearts to bow before you? Those that are bowing before you, would, give them, would you give them great comfort and joy? Uh, Lord, we, we are your people and the sheep of your pasture, and we are happy to be so. God, wherever there is an idol in our hearts, God, would you bring that to our minds and our hearts now, that it might be destroyed by your word? 
uh, so that nothing will be left between us and you. And God, if there are if there are people in here who are in rebellion against you, Lord, would you cause them to turn this morning? We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, this morning we are in Micah, continuing in Micah, where we come to chapter 5. If you're not there already, please turn there. And chapter 5 begins... Uh, sort of, in the Hebrew, the first verse is actually the end of chapter 4. So there's uh, a, chapter 4 and chapter 5 bleed into one another. Uh, they bleed into one another, and we're going to look at the beginning here, but let's get some context here. This is the tone as we approach chapter 5. O Israel, O Judah, O people of God, Not your politics, not your preachers, not your troops can save you from the wrath of God against your idolatry, against your abominations, your whoredom. He will bring all the terrors of Babylon and Assyria against you. You've forsaken your God, and he will bring it all against you because of your treachery. You will be killed, mistreated, and exiled. But God has not forgotten his promises. O Israel, O Judah, O people of God, in the midst of your destruction will be your eternal deliverance. In the midst of all of this is a severe mercy of God. A forest fire will burn down the forest, and it will do so in the destruction of that forest and in preparation for a greener forest. The gold goes through the fire for its purification and the dross is eliminated and the gold is purified. And so it is with God's people. He will spare David's line. He will keep his promises. And we will see that God's righteous wrath will wipe the people of Israel and Judah out and scatter them abroad until almost all hope is lost. Because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. And God is not afraid to go all the way into the ground, all the way into death before he brings eternal life. And he's not afraid to do so to show his conquering hand over death. It's all burnt down. Israel and Judah, all of it is coming all the way down and it's going to be scattered to the wind. And all of this beautiful forest is going to be burnt down, all down to one seed, one offspring of Abraham, Abraham's seed meant to fill the earth now rests alone in a manger in Bethlehem. A child born in a podunk town out in the cold is here as our deliverer and as our king. So this sermon is entitled, He Rules the World with Teeth and Rain. So let's back up a bit. Micah chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says, Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion, but they do not know the thoughts of Yahweh. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to Yahweh, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. God is gathering their enemies against them, and he's doing so for two reasons, judgment for Israel and Judah, his people, and judgment for his enemies. And this will bring forth 
their, his people's deliverance. Now let's look at our passage today. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. The Lord of armies is calling on the daughter of troops to prepare herself for the threshing. He says, you, you who are familiar with conflict, you who were trained by God for war, who never lost the taste for war, muster yourselves for the coming threshing, because Goliath has mocked the God of Israel, and Assyria has struck the judge of Israel on the cheek. Is mocking the God of Israel and the judge of Israel, and the nations have laid siege. They are at the gates. Assyria is about to take them into exile. God's people scattered, seemingly forever. This kingdom of Israel is our unborrowed time. And while this is unique to the time of Micah, echoes of this scenario remain to this day. On the grand scale, sin and Satan threaten to destroy the world, including death, and God comes and saves the day. In your life, dear Christian, you were born dead in sin, not sick. You were not born sick and needing to be healed, but you were born dead in your sin. And God had to intervene and raise you to life. In your living, you are persecuted, beset with temptation and suffering of various kinds. Enemies and plague haunt you. In this, you are given what you, are, what you need to endure. And if the Lord tarries, physical death will get to you before your glorification. Do you see that everyone, every man, woman, and child who has come before you has met the grave, barring Elijah and Enoch? This is the nature of your life, is that you are going to work, and you're going to work out, and you're going to go to the gym, and you're going to do a lot of rowing, right? You're going to do good work there, right? And you're going to eat really well. You're living in Colorado. There's all sorts of natural healthy ways to eat, right? And you're going to and you're going to go after those. Right? And you're going to spend time with friends and families and you're going to have foes and you're going to fight them and you're going to have trials at work and you're going to overcome them and then slowly but surely the grasshopper is going to start to drag itself along. And slowly but surely your back is going to hurt and your your hands aren't going to be as able to grasp as much as they can as they can and perhaps for some of us it will be sudden in the night. And death will come to us. Doesn't that seem like we all lose in the end? This is not so with God, because God is stronger than death. Here, in our passage, God has the enemies laying siege, Israel to be scattered, Judah to be scattered and gathered for a bit, and God will be silent for 400 years. If only he had saved them a bit earlier. If only, oh Jesus, you had come while Lazarus was sick, for then he could have been saved. Then we come to verse 2. But you, oh Bethlehem, Ephrathah, it's a strange town to bring up in the midst of all this, don't you think? A small town, where does it say, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. A child born in Judah is to be the ruler of Israel. A child born in a a small podunk town called Bethlehem is to be ruler 
in Israel. Two prophecies are at play here, at least, perhaps more. Genesis 49, 8 through 10, what does Jacob say to Judah? He says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Ah, we've, we've known this was coming. A ruler from Judah. And from him shall be the obedience of the people. And in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Yahweh says to David, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So from the town of David, from the small town of Bethlehem in Judah, is going to be one who rules over Judah and Israel. This divided nation who is about to be scattered, one is coming. A king from the city of David is coming from Bethlehem. David, the smallest of his shepherd brothers, his kingdom would continue in similar fashion. A babe in the manger of his hometown, heralded by shepherds, will come and rule. And a child of Judah shall rule in Israel, this foretold king. And what does it say? Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This child is coming. God has been sharing his coming as far back as Eden. He told Abraham that his offspring, not his offsprings, would come, as we read earlier. David, of his everlasting throne, he is coming to crush the dragon's head, the Ancient of Days being his timeline and his title. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So this, the child is not yet born in Bethlehem. A ruler is coming, but he's not born yet. So this is also perhaps disturbing as you read it. In these times, Assyria is at the gates. The siege is laying hold. It's coming up against us. Our time is limited. Everything's about to come crashing down. But don't worry. A child is going to be born, and he is going to rule us. He's going to be born of Bethlehem. Uh, like Naomi to her daughters, what does Naomi say to her daughters? Even if I should have a husband this night and he should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? If a child was born in Bethlehem tonight, we have to wait for him to, to grow and to be ruler? But what does it say? It says that he shall give them up until the time when she who is, labor has given, she who is in labor has given birth. And this is... Uh, clearly, there's allusions to Mary here, but also there's, there's the allusions to this people who have been waiting and pining and longing for God to deliver them for years and years and years. This, this seed of, of Eve who is coming to uh, destroy the serpent, they're still going to be given up until that time. The people of God do go into exile. Assyria, Babylon, they win for a time. God is patient and calculated in his just judgments and thrilling in his execution of mercy. This is, this is the case here, is that is Assyria and Babylon are going to scatter them out. This is what's going to happen. This is, God doesn't just wait until the deathbed. He waits until the burial. This is the nature of God, is that when all hope is lost, God waits a little while longer. Jesus waited three days when he heard about Lazarus, and then he waits until he's dead, in the ground, buried, and all hope is lost. And then 
She says to him, I believe in the resurrection. And he says, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. We see this time and time again in Scripture that God waits for the most glorious time. Jesus Christ was told, they look at him on the cross and what do they say? Tell God, maybe his God will bring him down from the cross. Maybe that'll happen. And then the world gets dark because Jesus Christ dies. He dies and they bury him in the ground for three days. And that's when the resurrection happens. Do you see, this is God's plan all along, is that people would die and then he would have victory, not over sickness only, not over sin only, not over Satan only, but also over death. Death is not the end. The scattering of Israel and Judah, this is the death, but it's not the end. Because then he says, then, after having given them up until the time when she who is labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And we see this, Ezekiel 37 talks about very clearly that God is going to unite Judah and Israel together. Again, a ruler from Judah is going to come and rule over Israel. And this is written, this is written uh, from Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says, he says uh, in verse 24 of chapter 37, he says, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. He said that David's going to be king over them, but David died long ago when Ezekiel's writing this. So Ezekiel has bigger things in mind. The line of David is going to come and going to unite Israel and Judah. And not only that, but he's going to bring them into their land and he's going to have them. And God is going to rule over them and they shall be my people. And this Messiah who's coming out of Bethlehem is going to bring this about. God's people are scattered abroad and from each other and are going to be unified and ruled by David and set in their land. That's what it says. And I think it's worth noting also that it says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This is talking about the ruler who's coming out of Bethlehem, which I think very clearly testifies to the point that this ruler who's going to come out of Bethlehem is the same ruler who is giving them up under judgment, therefore is Yahweh himself. Therefore Yahweh is going to be born in Bethlehem and is going to bring about this rule Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days, God with us. So let's sum up so far. God will judge his people for their idolatry and wickedness. He will surround them with his enemies, such that they will utterly overtake them and scatter them. This is preparation for the threshing of those enemies and the reuniting of the divided people of God under the establishment and glorification of the prophesied ruler Messiah, who is the Ancient of Days himself, Yahweh in human form, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Are we tracking? This is all here in a couple of verses. 
what does it say? Oh, this glorious verse. Verse 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God, and they shall dwell secure, for he, for now he shall be great, where? To the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Here it is, the hope. This will be. Behold, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, come to stand and shepherd his flock. He will do so with the strength of Yahweh. God's people will dwell secure. The psalmist talks constantly about the stronghold of Yahweh, about the stronghold who is a deliverer and whoever takes refuge in him will not be disappointed. This shepherd, under the strength of Yahweh, God's people will dwell secure, safe from harm. Because not only will he be great in the land of Israel, but he shall be great to the ends of the earth. No kingdom will be outside of his strength. He shall be their peace. No kingdom will be outside of the reign of this ruler who is coming. Not only are Israel and Judah going to be united, but the ends of the earth are going to be ruled by this king. And therefore, who can come against God's people? No one. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards those with whom he is pleased. The prince of peace is coming. And he is coming to rule with a mighty rod, not only over Israel and Judah, but also over Assyria and Babylon and the rest. Verse 5. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the people of Israel. No. It says they shall shepherd the land of Assyria. With what? The sword. And the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. The scope of this passage is vast. It's across time. There was no... There's a picture here of... Because there's, we don't have a picture here of Israel then taking up arms and beating the Assyrians and destroying them and taking back their land. That's not what we see in Micah's time. We see a broad picture here. And this broadness, I think, is very clearly demonstrated by the fact that he's talking about the land of Nimrod. Nimrod is long gone at this point. There is a broad picture here of the Assyrians, the people, the enemies of God coming up against them and invading their borders, which would happen. The Assyrians would come into the land and tread in our palaces. But what's going to happen is that God is going to shepherd the world. He's not going to let the people of God be destroyed. And he's going to do so. So Jesus Christ comes, this this, uh, shepherd from Bethlehem, and he's going to come and he's going to shepherd the world. And how is he going to do this? It says that uh, we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. We will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Now, this means that the people of God are going to raise up against their enemies seven shepherds who are underneath this chief shepherd. Seven shepherds, eight shepherds, eight princes of men. And when the Bible says seven and eight, so it says this is going to happen with seven, it's going to happen with eight, it's meaning there's going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty of shepherds for this task. This is going to accomplish 
the whole of the task is there. And what does this mean? It means God is going to raise up people for the shepherding of the nations. This is what's happening. And we're going to appoint them. And we see here in Micah something unquestionably that the preachers have failed them, right? This, all of this doesn't rest on the fact that we have enough preachers. All of this rests upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And under him, very clearly in this passage, there will be shepherds. There will be people. God is going to bring about his word, his, his dominion, by sending out 12 men who are going to go and teach the world to obey the chief shepherd. That's what's, that's what's going to happen. Is that they're going to then go, and what, is, what does Paul tell Titus? He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that I might put you, put, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then what First Peter 5 is going to say, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being example to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory so Jesus Christ is coming he's going to rule and he's going to make sure and he's going to send out his ministers to go and shepherd not only the flock, but he's going, they're going to shepherd the world. They're going to shepherd the world, and they're going to do so with a sword. And how is this going to be? How, how does one shepherd a people with a sword? Well, we're, we're about to find out. Uh, but but let, me, let me make this really clear to us, though, before we go on, because it's about to talk about the remnant of Jacob. This remnant of Jacob are the people who are heirs of Abraham according to promise. This is this is what Jesus or this is what Micah is talking about here is heirs according to promise. We read about it in Galatians chapter 3. Those who are in the flock of God, those whom this shepherd ruler who's coming out of Bethlehem will appoint. This is the people of God. This is the church that we're going to see. Right? This is the church of God going out and shepherding the nations. The Assyrian will tread within our border, and it is the responsibility of shepherds to drive them out under the rule and chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. What does this look like? Well, in verse 7, we get a glimpse of it. We're going to see two similes, right? They're back to back. So, verse 7 and 8 both start very similarly. Verse 7 starts, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. Like something. And then verse 8 says, And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many people. Like. What is this remnant going to be like? First of all, interestingly enough, this remnant is now among many peoples. It's scattered across the entire earth and is doing so as shepherds. So not all, he's turned to people who are scattered in exile to a people who are covering the globe amidst the many peoples, shepherding and going about executing the rule of this King Jesus Christ. And what are they going to do it like? Well, they're going to do it like two things. They're going to do it like dew from the Lord, and they're going to do it like a lion 
among the beasts of the forest. They're going to do it like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And they will also do it like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. This is the remnant of Jacob he's talking about. Dew and a lion, showers and a young lion. He rules the world with teeth and rain. This is the people of God. A sent, equipped, strengthened, and changed people, all given orders from their king, like a mustard seed that becomes a tree that fills the garden, and the birds of the air nest in its branches. This remnant among, is among the nations, the greatness of her shepherd, filling the earth. And with what? What is the earth filled with? Nourishment and destruction. Do you trust the Lord? No, Christian. Do you trust God's word that this is what his reign looks like? It looks like both rain and a lion. The rule of Jesus Christ comes with the destruction of the wicked, of idols, of cities, of high places, and brings a deluge of rain, ending famine, growing crops and grass for the sheep to eat, cooling the earth, and sprouting flowers. So take counsel in your own heart for a moment. There's two, there's two things at play here. Are you the kind of person that strongly leans into the kingdom of God being most like rain, of being most like nourishment, of being most like blessing in the form of, of grace. Uh, good. That's a good thing. Without the lion, that perverts into winsome nicety nothingnesses. It, it, it perverts it into weak, pathetic garbage is what that does. Uh, without the lion. So are you a person that feels strongly that the kingdom of God is most like the lion? Without the rain, this becomes somebody who's filled with vitriol and poison in their heart. Somebody who goes about their day with hate and, and just wants to watch the world burn. This is not who Christians are. So if you are a person that feels strongly that the kingdom of God is most like, lane, most like rain... This morning, lean into the lion part. And if you are a person who most sees the kingdom of God coming like a lion, lean high and hard into the rain part this morning. Let's, let's look at them. The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from Yahweh, like showers on the grass which delay not for man, nor wait for the children of man. The glory of this king through his people, through his shepherds who are going out to shepherd Assyria with the sword are going to nourish mankind without its permission and not according to its timing. That's what the church does, is whether or not this world likes it, it will be rained upon. It will be nourished. The rain is coming. The baptismal waters of God's people will nourish the world teach the world the oracles of Christ and beautify everything it touches without the world's consent. You do not need the world's permission to make it a wonderful place under the reign of Yahweh. You have orders from your king to do so, and so if they are messing it up, you have the job to go and clean it up. Not when it's ready. The ruler of Bethlehem has been born and his reign is now and sweet, and so now is the time to bear children, to have festivals, to write books, to sing songs, to bake food, to teach the world 
the word of God and the world cannot stop it. This is your job, oh Christian, to go out and minister to the word to the world, whether or not it likes it or not, not according to its timing. And this is not to delay for the men or wait for the children of man to get their act together. Now is the time to be beautifying and nourishing the world. This is you. Despite its constant attempts to make the world hideous and dry, banal and androgynous, wicked and thirsty, the kingdom of Christ will not delay for a moment in pouring his rain upon this world. The world does not want the rain, but it's coming. No space is safe from his rain. Chains could not keep songs from being sung in Paul's prison cell. The new Jerusalem is coming and it will be magnificent and it will not wait for the people. It will not wait for the pride parade to finish before it cleans out the streets. The birds of the air will sit in the branches of this tree. And so you, you are commanded to go and baptize and teach the world to do everything that Jesus commanded. Do you see it as your responsibility to bring the word of God to bear on your interactions with the world, at work, at the park with other people and their children, in politics, in theater, in your commerce? This is your responsibility to bring rain. Bring the rain. The remnant is also like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Remember, this is talking about the remnant of Yahweh here. This isn't talking about the enemy. What does Paul say? Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, not of the flesh. And foolish people will take that part of the passage and say, see, like we don't, we're not a warring people. But you've got to finish the verse. It's true that we're not bringing swords, but what does it say? It says that the weapons of our warfare actually have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is what we do with our weapons. We destroy. That's what we as Christians do. We destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is us. This is, we are a fighting people. We are set out to destroy, to shepherd Assyria with the sword. This is, we are a fighting people. So name a lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Think about it. And your job is to destroy it. Secularism, infanticide, witchcraft, Islam, feminism, gay pride, Marxism, the list goes on and on, and these must all come crumbling down. These must all come crumbling down at the feet of Jesus. And they do so as we minister the word and we go out and we don't just welcome them in. We don't open up the door and say, we're Christians. We, we, everybody is welcome here. Everybody is welcome here as so long as they bow their knee to the king. That's, that invitation is given to all. But we must not bring, as, as Assyria comes in and comes into the fortress, we, we, the shepherds are to, to dry, shepherd it with the sword. It must all come crumbling down. And this is your responsibility. Do you see this as your responsibility to bring the word of God to bear on your interactions with the world, at work, at the park, at the people of other children, in politics, in theater, in your commerce, to bring down these strongholds? This is your job. This is what the seven and eight shepherds are going out and doing as a shepherd of Syria, is to bring down these strongholds. They must not last. And you know what? They're coming down whether we do it or not. And God has appointed us to do this, so we might as well get on board with what our king 
has commanded us to do because they're coming down. It says, your hand, and take comfort here, your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. You win. This is what's going to happen. Jesus Christ wins. This mustard seed will fill the earth. Rain and blessing and rain blessing and terror on all until all of the church's adversaries are eliminated, ushered in by this child of Bethlehem. Big picture here. God himself will see that this happens. And this is, this is the end. Right here at the end of our chapter here, it says, let me just read it. And in that day, verse 10, declares Yahweh, I will cut off your horses from among you. I will destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. It is coming down. God will destroy all idols. Every lofty opinion and every divination will be coming down. Every city and nation that does not bow its knee before Yahweh will be coming down. And we will be part of that. And he's going to bring it all down until nothing is left but Yahweh. Yahweh will play second fiddle to no one. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will make sure that this happens. This is not unclear. This is not unclear. If your nation does not obey Jesus Christ, then he will bring it to the ground. He will bring it to the ground. So bow the knee. Repent, believe, join this kingdom because what's going to be left when the fire is gone and the flames are done dancing and the wind blows it all away will be a land flowing with milk and honey. It will be a land sweet where the child will play in the adder's den. He's doing all this not because he just likes to watch things burn, but because he's making all things new in Jesus Christ. Hasn't he done this with you? Didn't you watch your old self burn? Didn't you watch your old self die? The death that clung so closely, didn't you watch it die? And what came forth on the other side? Life and health. And on the other side, pleasures forevermore. This is what's coming. Because Jesus Christ didn't just get sick. He was dead and in the grave and he bore the sins of the world on himself. Taking it all down. Taking everything down. And then God raised him on the last day. And you, O Christian, if you are in Christ, he will raise you. He will raise you because he is here now reigning and making all things new by this child, the seed of Abraham, born in a manger in Bethlehem, this podunk town. And this child shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray.
God, we are grateful to be your people. We are grateful to be children of a God who doesn't shrug at evil, who watches the wicked ways of man and won't let them continue, God, but you're going to make all things new and you're cleaning house and we are happy to be a part of that. And we are happy also to bring the reign of blessing into this world. We are happy to bring the reign of, of children and song and your sweet word, Lord, to bear. God, give us what we need to do so. God, if there are any here that don't know you, but they find life in Christ today through repentance and faith. God, we, we thank you for your body, or your son's body and blood, broken and shed for us. We'll remember that now. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the table this morning, uh, may we remember...